0: All right, our text is Psalms 119, verses 105, Psalms 119, verse 105, a familiar passage of scripture. Tonight I plan to use a lot of scripture, so I hope that you will uh, write, write them down there. I don't know that you'll have time to turn to every one of them, so uh, I hope that you'll write them down in the pastor's notes section that we give you in the bulletin. And the title of this message is uh, Steps to a Great Local Church. So let me just tell this story in preparation for that. This was on the internet, so it has to be true. Uh, You know, well, it was a news organization on the internet, so it's true. Well, it's on Facebook, it's got to be true. You know, people like that. But, so you know this has to be true. A lonely... Frog telephoned the psychic hotline and asked what his future holds. The psychic advisor tells him, well, you're going to meet a beautiful young girl. And that young lady is going to want to know everything about you. (laughs) Boy, that frog is really happy. And he says, hey, am I going to meet her at a party? And the psychic said, no, you're going to meet her in biology class. And today we have a lot of uh, things going out there about the local church and about building the local church, and it's using marketing and other methods. You know, marketing and those methods work well in the business world, but they're not holy. And God has already lined out, laid out how he wants us to do church. You cannot improve upon God. And so he says in Psalms one nineteen one o five, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. Now shall we pray. Father, I pray as we look into your word tonight. Many scriptures here, Lord, but to show us what you want of us as a local church. So help us to do this and do this according to your will. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I hesitated on the title because so many have used something about building a great church or something of that nature. And, and they use it as a church growth seminar. And they incorporate the latest methods, the latest technology and so forth. Uh, and it calls us to really to ditch the old paths. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, we read that they were doing this in Israel quite, quite much. You know, they, they were saying, hey, we can't do it that way anymore. Nobody likes it that way, so we've got to change it. As if church and worship depends on how much people like it, instead of what God says. And it says here, thus saith the Lord: Stand ye in the ways and see, and and after, uh, and and excuse me, and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. So God says, ask for the old path. You know, he's going to restore it. If you'll ask for it and walk in it, he'll do it. And he said, hey, we don't want that. We're enjoying this. We, we like what we're doing. And so uh, Israel lost everything because they thought they had a better way. So in this sermon, I want to look at what God has to say, a biblical teaching. And I'm going to use the word great to emphasize each point. And the first thing I want you to see is the great Convincing. We must be greatly convinced of the truth of God's word, that God's word is truth. As Jesus in his prayer in John 17 said, thy word is truth. By that he meant it was absolute truth. There was no error. There was nothing wrong with it at all. It was 100% right. And so he said, thy word is truth. Now, in our text, he said, the word is a lamp to my feet. Simply by that, he means it shows me myself. I, when I see myself through the light of the Word, it's not a good picture. And then he goes on to say, and it's a light to my path, which shows me the way that I ought to walk this pilgrim uh, pathway in, in this world, how we ought to live, how we ought to walk. And so the Word of God, one might say, is the brainstem that directs the rest of the body of the believer and the local church. What we must understand about the Word of God is Psalms 145 and verse 17 that God is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. So anything God leads to do will always be holy and righteous. It will never be worldly. It will never smack of the world. It will never uh, put the flesh ahead of the spirit. It will always be right. Now, it's important that we understand this concept of being greatly convinced about the Word of God and its truth. It's it's of utmost importance. First of all, we're going to be judged by the Word of God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, uh, excuse me, John chapter 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So he's letting us know that we are judged by what is written in this word of God. And that's going to be interesting at the judgment seat of Christ for Christians, at the white throne for the unsaved, because every accusation, everything that comes up after that judgment is going to be shown to have been in the word of God. And it was available for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, we get a little bit more into this idea of the judgment of God by the Word of God. He says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is nothing, there's no deep secret in your heart. There's no great secret, sordid intention that you could have that God doesn't see it clearly. And it will be measured by the word of God. And so the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Psalms 12, 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver, tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. They would do that in order to get absolute purity in the silver. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. As we've told you many times that uh, this generation don't have generations in heaven. They live forever. They don't have a generation and then another generation is born, then another generation. No, they live forever in heaven. Generations are on earth. And the Lord said, from this time forever, the Word of God is preserved. And doesn't that just make uh, absolute sense to us? That if we're going to be judged by the Word of God, we need to have one that is preserved, that tells us the right way, that tells us the way that we ought to go, that tells us the way of salvation. It is by the word of God that we are judged. And by the way, it's a good thing the word of God is preserved because it does tell us how to get saved. In 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 23, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Then verse 25 of 1st Peter 2 says or 1st Peter 1 should I say says but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word uh, which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, a lot of folks say, well, we believe in preservation, but in all these manuscripts, all these corrupted manuscripts, they have it too, you know. And and so, you take some from those Texas Receptus that you use for your King James Bible, big deal. And and then we take these others, we just put them together, and, and, and we know that we have the word of God. We know some things are wrong, but... Uh, What do you know is wrong and what is your test of what is wrong and what is right? And, And why is God able to speak the worlds into existence? Why is God able to become a man? Why is God able to raise from the dead? Why is God able to have a virgin birth? Why is God able to do all of that but for some reason or another he lacks the power, the ability, and the smarts to be able to preserve his word? That is just utter ignorance for people to say that. It doesn't matter how many letters they have after their name. The Bible is preserved. How could we trust what it says about salvation if it's not? Look, I'm basing my faith in Jesus Christ on what he has said in his word. And if I can't trust his word, then why should I base my salvation on it? That's more important than anything. I ought to have something that I can trust. And my friend, we can trust the word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, young Timothy got saved. He got saved as a child. And it was his mother and grandmother using the Word of God to teach him the way of salvation. Now, in his day, he mostly had just the Old Testament scriptures. But, you know, salvation was taught in the Old Testament. And and Timothy got saved by the Word of God. And there was no idea of, well, is this something that we can trust? Oh, he could trust, and it changed his life. But we also have the Word of God for the way we live our Christian life. In 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, through chapter 4 and verse 2, we read this. Uh, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration. Again, we've told you many times that word inspiration means God breathed. When you talk, you're talking like I'm talking now. I'm breathing out. I gotta stop and take a breath to say more words. If you try to talk while you're breathing in, it just doesn't happen too well, okay? So you talk, breathing out. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable? Yeah, profitable to us if we'll go by it. It's profitable for doctrine. Isn't it interesting that doctrine's listed first? The teaching of the word. We need to learn why we're going to be judged by the word. So we need to know its doctrine. Uh, as we learn the doctrine of God's Word, the teaching of God's Word, and that's what doctrine is, it's just the teaching of something, it's the teaching of God's Word. And, and when we learn the teaching of God's Word, then we can catch when somebody tries to introduce something false to the Word of God, as Satan tried to do with Eve in the garden and was successful doing it. All we have to do is know the Word of God and believe it and trust it. So it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Sometimes we need to be told that's sin, that's wrong, stop this, start doing this, start doing that. But we need to be told. And, and it's for reproof. You're not doing this. Hey, do this. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Stop. It's for reproof. It's for correction. You know the word correction means to uh, really to set a bone. It's the way they used it back mostly in that day in the Greek and and so it's to correct something that's wrong in our lives but to not only correct it but to set it right to help get it right to get it going on the right direction the word of God is for that and then for instruction in righteousness the Lord told Israel in Deuteronomy 6.25 this shall be your righteousness if ye obey those commandments that he had given and isn't it interesting that if that is what righteousness is, and he says that's what his righteousness is, and he's a holy God, he's altogether righteous, and, and, and there is no idea in him of sin. There's no idea in him of deceit. There's no any of that in him. That means then that righteousness will be pure, it'll be good, it'll be ethical, and it'll always carry out the will of God. That is righteousness. And so he lets us know. That uh, it is uh, for instruction in righteousness. How to live righteous. How to please God. That the man of God may be perfect, mature in Christ, thoroughly furnished unto all, all good works. It's not just a work. God has much for you to do. And then he goes on to chapter 4, verse 1. The chapter and verse divisions are made by man. But, he says, I charge thee therefore before God. Because, therefore, because all of this is true, because this word is preserved, because it's God-breathed, because it's what you need, because of all of that, I charge you, Timothy, a preacher, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Okay, now, he's being told, you're a preacher. And at the appearing of Christ, you're going to be brought into judgment about this. Remember Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, verse 17, about the pastor, about the preacher? He'll be there and, and at the judgment, and it'll either be good for you or bad for you. Did you preach this preacher? Yes, I did. It's not going to be, was I able to get him to stop It was, did he heed the word of God? Did you preach this? If I didn't preach it, I'm the problem. Okay, I'm the problem. But he says, at the judgment, the preacher's going to be called for this. That's why a preacher doesn't need to worry about people hate him or going to run him off for what he preaches. If he's preaching the truth of God's word, he better stick with the word of God and let God take care of him. And then he goes on to say, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. In other words, always be ready. Reprove. Isn't that interesting? He tells them how to preach. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now today they say, No, you don't can't do that kind of preaching anymore. It doesn't work today. Well, it never did work. It's the Holy Ghost through his word as a man speaks the word of God that the Holy Spirit works. And so when he says to preach it that way, that's the way to preach it. Because if you're going to try something else, it'll never be right. It might get crowds, but it'll never get souls. And so he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's the way God said to do it. So again, there has to be with us, we have to be greatly convinced, this is the word of God. One of the very... Negative doctrines of the last days is that they will not endure sound doctrine. And he's speaking to the local church. When men will not endure sound doctrine. So, what do you have today? You have, uh you go to church, it's a rock concert added with a psychological presentation or some kind of motivational preaching. And it gets away from the truth. It, it, it'll grab a verse here and it'll grab a verse there to make it sound like what they're saying is right. Oh, the devil's so deceitful. He is so deceitful. The point is, you must be greatly convinced that, and, and convinced totally, that the culture does not change the word of God. He said in Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. And he says in Proverbs chapter 24, 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. You ever see that guy? And I've seen a lot of them, okay. They, They had these standards. Hey, man, that music is wrong. Hey, that kind of, the way you're dressing is wrong. Hey, the way you're doing this is wrong. The way you're doing that is wrong. And then all of a sudden, they're into that themselves. They, they said, oh, I can't get a crowd that way. I've got to change and get a crowd this way. Well, I've got to do it this way. I've got to do ministry. God has shown us new ways to do ministry. Now, a God, but not the God, showed them a way to do ministry. Okay, there's a great difference there. And he says, Meddle not with them. Don't, don't have anything to do with those that do that. They go away from the Word of God. They go away from God's way of doing things. He says, don't have anything to do with it. Now, I'm telling you what God says, but understand, God said it. God's Word does not change. His righteousness and His holiness does not change. So understand, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God, the Bible tells us. But you must be greatly convinced of the truth that it is God's Word, and God's Word is the final authority in all manners of life. It's the final authority. Secondly, I must be greatly convinced of my accountability at the judgment seat of Christ for the truth. In Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. What is the measure here? It's the word of God, but each person is given an account. We read in John twelve48 Jesus said, "By my words you'll be judged." We read in Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve and thirteen, where he said, "Even the thoughts, the intents of the heart, the soul and the spirit, all that's going to be judged and it's going to use the word of God, so we need to understand that we have an accountability before God. in second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 is a good example. for we must all appear. Before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say the beam seat. It sounds intelligent. It's just a Greek word that means judgment seat. Okay. But we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. This place that we walk in. Whether it be good or bad. Now. We still have sin in this life. And one day, unconfessed and unforsaken sin is going to cause not us to go to hell, the price for our sin has been paid, but it will cause loss of reward. Only Christians appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Only the saved are at the judgment seat of Christ. Unsaved don't go there. The unsaved go to the white throne judgment. They are not going to be, find out whether they can go to heaven or to hell. They're all going to hell, but they will determine their degree of punishment. For us at the judgment seat, it determines our degree of reward, and so much of it is based on being convinced of the Word of God, and therefore we're convinced of our accountability before God. In First, uh, first Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, because He's the judge, who both will bring to light, not maybe, he will, will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Then shall every man have praise of God. And I've told you plenty of times before, that verse used to throw me a little bit because how could I have praise of God when he's going to make manifest the hidden things of darkness and the counsels of the heart? Boy, how can I have praise of God? Because then we'll all know we were saved by grace. No doubt about it. None of us deserve to be there. But the great loving grace of God has us there. So, therefore, it's only by this word that I know how to prepare for eternity. Now, in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, we read this. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Think of that. Sometimes people do things, they think, I got away with this. Men may have cheated on their wives, and they say, I got away with this, you'll never know. Oh, yes, you will. Well, I I confess to God, yes, but you never made it right. And what I'm saying to you is that by the word of God, even the secret things are made known. Now we live in a day when there's so much going on that we wonder, can we keep up with it? We need to be more concerned about keeping up with the Word of God. So, that leads again to the fact that we must each have a great commitment to His Word, which will lead us to a great commitment to fulfilling the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus spake unto them, Saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. When he said all power, he was saying all authority. Now, he was God coming to the flesh, so he already had all authority. So, you say, what does that mean by that? Well, in his humanity, he became 100% man with a 100% human spirit that he might obtain for us salvation. Therefore, he has the keys of hell and of death, Romans uh, Revelation one eighteen says. And so, all powers given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now what are we teach? Well, we know by the other passages pro- about this commission, it was the gospel. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have taught. Commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Do God's will, God's way. He's with you. Try to do it another way. He's not with you. It's that simple. He will lead us because all power, authority is given unto him. And he'll be with us to the end. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 19, we read this. Simon Peter answered and said now jesus said well who do men say i am one they were said, well some says say you're elias and some say you're this and that and he says but who do you say i am and peter answered and said thou art the christ the son the word he used for son was which meant the very seed which the jews would kill him for Thou art the Son of the living God. And Jesus in answer said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, whose name meant pebble. And upon this rock, not a pebble, a boulder, upon this rock will I build my church. Jesus said it was his church. It's his local church. He is the one. The church is built upon. And he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, gates are for defense, not for attacking. Now, I know Samson took some gates off a city and walked up a mountain, but didn't hit anybody with them. Gates are for defense. God expects us to be on the offense with the gospel, with the sword of the spirit. And he says, now we'll give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, that happened. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's able to open the gospel to the Jews. In Acts chapter 8, he opens the gospel to the Samaritans who were half Jews. And then in Acts chapter 10, he opens the gospel to the Gentiles. And as a result of that, we too have these keys in this commission, this great commission to take the gospel to a whole dying world that needs a Savior. And it's a great accountability factor for each of us at the judgment seat of Christ. Go ye therefore into all the world. Praise God for faith, promise, missions, giving that we can be a part of that. Now, we must keep it in mind that we take the gospel here at home by personal witness, giving out a gospel salvation track, and then through helping missionaries to get the gospel around the world in the best ways that can be accomplished. And so that's always the goal. That's always the goal to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. When a leader embraces a ministry philosophy that includes a readiness to shift positions and practices from the Bible, he'll need to understand that he's not only just gaining some new method and practice, but he better realize he's also losing something. As well as introducing new taste, new desires, and styles to the local church that will have permanent consequences. By the way, that happened in Israel, that happened to the seven churches in Revelation. You will surrender ground that will never be regained. Now, look, amen for gathered crowds. Amen for that. But don't be so shallow to embrace a ministry of change that waters down the witness, that waters down the word, and does other nonsense due to ideas of successful crowd gathers. What happens? The church gets filled with empty people, and if they're still there two years later, they're still empty. Look, churches filled with empty people is not the goal. The goal is to bring those souls to Christ and then help them to grow in the grace, fulfill the entire Great Commission. Now, if we'll have that great commitment, God wants us to have to fulfill the Great Commission, then we'll next, we'll have a great commitment to the Great Commandment. We see that in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest, that is the most important commandment of all the commandments, and he says, "And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength." And he said, "With all thy heart admit that." And he says, "This is the first commandment. And the second the second most important commandment is likened to it. In that thou shalt like, uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he said, there is none other commandment greater, more important, in other words, than these. One needs to understand, then John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus strengthened that second commandment. You ever hear people say, we're not under the law? We're not under the law now. We've got liberty. Okay. Well, here's the liberty God gave us. In the Old Testament, it said, love your neighbors yourself. The New Testament says, no. Stronger than that. Love them as I love you. You see, grace, liberty never gave us freedom to fulfill the desires of the flesh. That is ignorance. That comes straight from hell. That comes from the devil. When people start applying liberty to a right to fulfill desires of the flesh. Well, I see nothing wrong with smoking. I see nothing wrong with the social drinking. I see nothing wrong with this or that. Why is it always those things that pertain to the flesh? Do you ever see anything wrong with witnessing? Do you ever see anything wrong with being holy and separate from the world? The Lord strengthened those things. A New Testament imperative command, which is a command that was given that uh, you'll, a matter of fact, it's called a present imperative, which means do this and keep on doing it. 1 Peter 1, 15 16, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Whoa. Yeah. Boy, well, it's really holy if I'll go ahead and have that little social drink. It's really holy if I'll smoke that cigar. That's Holy. If you actually believe that, you have deceived yourself. And the devil is laughing his head off at you and God. So we need to have that great commitment to fulfill the great commandment to love God with our all and to love others of the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ as Christ loved us. Satan will try to stop the witness as he did throughout the New Testament and the missionary ministry of these apostles. So he'll try it. Most often, you'll have the self-righteous gossips who will be out there, who will tell you things that others are doing or they think others are doing or things that happen. They'll say something about their life. (laughs) <laughs> They'll go to the internet and make sure that they have all the absolute. You know, they believe the internet more than they do the Bible. I mean, if they're really concerned as they act like they're concerned, won't they go to that person? As the Bible says to do. And not just go to them once, but keep going back to them and praying for them. And, and, and maybe even fast and pray for them that God will bring them back if they're going in a wrong direction. But for some reason or other, I, I have looked, but I haven't found it in the Bible where it says, go and tell everybody else what this guy's doing. I mean, if you found it in the Bible, maybe that's one of the newer uh, translations that you got. Uh, but it's not in this Bible. Yes, some people have to be separated from fellowship. But they need to be separated from fellowship after you've found that what was the reason you're separating from is true. And then they have to be marked. They have to be made known that, hey, this person has done this. And, and it has to be beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, I, I'll have people come and say, I saw this on the Internet about somebody. What well, did you talk to them about? Do You know the whole story behind it. Usually they don't, but they're quick to tell the story. Always be careful of that person because they'll tell stories about you as well. We're to edify one another in the word. The ministry of reconciliation. The whole church has that responsibility. That is being Christ-like. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. Don't try to emulate the world. Don't try to act like the world. Don't try to handle problems the way the world handles but be ye holy. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He said, I beseech you. I'm strongly urging you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Why would he say by the mercies of God? Because we go so many opposite directions. You ought to just go ahead and strike us dead. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, <laughs> the body. Okay, that's the body. You present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable unto Central Baptist Church. <laughs> no, acceptable unto God—a much higher. Even though it's New Testament and it's not law, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's interesting—the that the word "service" there uses the Greek word that has that is the uh, root word of worship. You worship God by having a holy body. How you dress. The words that come out of your mouth, the things you do, your integrity—all of that—reflects on a holy body. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How you transformed? Conformed is to see something on the outside and be like it. That's what the new philosophies are today. Try to look like the world, but have scriptures to go with it. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. That starts on the heart and works its way out. The body will be right if the heart is right. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you renew your mind in? The word of God. You may prove what it's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So understand again. Watch out for the devil's deceit. We wrestle him, not people, not fellow saints. We wrestle not flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. We're wrestling the devil, not God's people. Sometimes God's people get hurt because they're on the side of the devil. But understand, it's not those people you're fighting. It's the sin you're fighting. It's the wrong you're fighting. It's the evil that you fight. So, in seeking to reflect holiness, Christians do not need to turn to the ways of the world. They need to turn to the ways of God. I think one of the ways, and I've seen this, and and I understand it, people have on their television sets, you know, these, these things now that take all the cuss words out. That's all right. It's all right that it takes out the cuss words, nothing wrong with that. But that technological device is seen as a panacea for the problems that godless entertainment presents. You see, there are drawbacks. It's possible to edit words from a script, but not a philosophy. A character who swears on screen does, does so because he has a wrong philosophy about life in general and God in particular. And there's no device that prevents a person from seeing and hearing a wicked philosophy. And that philosophy is usually produced sublim- subliminally. Okay by the devil as logical and the best way to prevent this just avoid the movie completely just avoid it completely i wrote the following and i wanted to sound smart after i wrote it and just stand up here and say it i'm not that smart so i'm going to read it to you so i'm just going to ask that you listen if we will be convinced of the word of God as the final authority in all matters of life and as a result have a great commitment to the great commission motivated by the great commandment to the greatest commandment that will lead to a great Christian life which if we we walk together together In the unity of the Spirit of God and His Word, doing God's will, God's way, in God's timing, it will lead to a great church in God's eyes because it's doing all to the glory of God. Now, men may not call it great, but what God calls great, He proves in eternity when rewards are given. So we need to follow these steps that Christ has laid out for us in his word. We let the Lord down. We let our church down. We let ourselves down. When we won't seek these things that God would have us to seek. Greatness is found in allowing the Lord to make you what he wants you to be. So you just surrender all to him's. Brother Eby did a good job with that today, talking about the evangelist, saying, you know, step in the offering plate, and you just gave your whole self to him. Have no will of your own, but do his will. God can only make Central Baptist Church as great a church as each member is willing to allow God to do that. You don't say... I'll leave in order for church to be a better church. If that's what it took, I'd be out of here. No. It's not me leaving, it's me staying and obeying the Word of God. It's you staying and obeying the Word of God. It's each of us doing our part. This church does not rest on one human being. It rests on God's Word. It, re- it rests on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that what is what leads to a right to a great local church that God would have it to be. So let me just close with this verse. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing unto thee. <laughs> this world has many gods. Let's not be ashamed of our God. And then he says, verse 2 of Psalm 138, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy lovingkindness and for thy truth for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name friend if he's magnified his word above his name and at the name of jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father and that's going to happen one day and yet he's exalted his word even above his name allow the word of God to be a very important part of your life, realizing that every time you're opening this book, you're opening to read and hear the mind of God. Let's bow our heads, please.